could feel we were God's gathered children of God. And that joy just spills out of those Messiah when they hear that gospel. This gospel that we share and sometimes take for granted in, in our churches in America where we decide whether or not it's convenient for us to roll out of bed and make our way over to the church. This gospel, we must know, is living and active and changing the world in Tanzania and other places. I'm no longer slave to fear. I am. None of us would uh, deny that there is there's a lot of anger uh, in the world, a lot of violence and discord today. Uh, and then, you know, we make the effort to climb out of bed on a dreary day and come over to church, and, and there it is right in front of us in the Bible, too, yeah, even in the Gospel. Uh, John Dominic Cross and teaches religious studies at Chicago's DePaul University. And he has written and said that if Jesus uh, were to return uh, physically tomorrow, he would probably be eliminated with extreme prejudice and as soon as possible. The only question would be how. Because Jesus would threaten the deepest norms of our culture and our civilization, which he summarized, Cross and summarized as, I want to uh, keep mine and, if possible, take yours. And Jesus said that is not the rule of God. That is not how the kingdom of God operates. That is not just. By this 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel, and we should be reminded that Matthew's uh, church is under pressure, under persecution. And by the 10th chapter in Matthew's telling of the story of Jesus, Jesus has plenty of enemies. The hierarchy of uh, the religious establishment are threatened by him and by the amount of attention he is getting and authority ascribed to him. All those whose expectations uh, that he has managed to disappoint, those who were drawn to him because of his increasing popularity and influence and hoped that he might break the back of their oppressors, uh, are disappointed and frustrated precisely because he is not the kind of Messiah that they wanted him to be. Just as old Simeon had predicted uh, back when Jesus was a child, Jesus has stirred things up for a great many of people, and he is a source of conflict and division. By the very message of equality and inclusion and graciousness and generosity that he came not only to preach, but also to embody. And not that concern for the neighbor wasn't at the very heart of Israel's law all along. It was. It was just that Jesus came along and said, okay, let's do it. 
Let's live it out. And that was enough to make a whole lot of people extremely angry. And there were few more beloved or precious institutions for first century people than the family. Your growth and very survival was dependent upon your immediate family. Which also meant accepting the order of command, beginning with the father, uh, and then with the mother, and then the sons, and then the daughters. We're not talking about a kind of sentimental, modern family kind of household that you and I are more familiar with today. You stayed in line and you never thought of challenging those who had absolute power and authority over you if you knew what was good for you. It was simply the way things were. That is until Jesus showed up. And then all of a sudden, people started stepping out of line. And as we read carefully through the Gospels, we see it time and time again. Sons leaving the family farm. Or leaving their father standing there on the beach, untangling the fishing nets as they traipse off following this itinerant Jewish rabbi. The father left there on the beach with his jaw hanging open. Women finding their voice enough to speak freely to a man in public or gather a community of faith in their own household. People, in other words, discovering their dignity as human beings in ways they had never done so before that were deeply disturbing and threatening to the keepers of the status quo. Suddenly, nothing was staying in place. Everything was up for grabs. People redefining what they perceived to be their obligations to one another based on human need and human equality rather than sex, kin, and clan defining where we fall in the social strata. And you better believe that this was all a cause for arguments and fights at home around the kitchen table and down at the local synagogue. It makes one wonder where this modern notion uh, that the main job of Jesus is to, is to grant us wishes... <laughs> And, and, and shower us with blessings, even materially. Just accept Jesus into your life and you'll find peace that you've always been looking for. This is what we heard this morning. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Matthew's talking about a nuclear family, first century Mediterranean style, right? Jesus says that he will threaten even the structure of this bedrock of the culture. But notice precisely how he proposes to do that. 
The division is between the generations. Did you see that? This attack has to do with power. More precisely, where Jesus calls people to allegiance is precisely against those familiar patterns of power through which we enforce our will upon others. St. Francis of Assisi became a knight in the wars with Perugia and had a fabulous future in front of him. His father was so proud of his son. But the problem was that Francis kept going to church, hearing the gospel and praying, asking God what God wanted him to do. And over time, Francis became convinced that God did not want him to be a French troubadour or a dashing knight, but rather to be a follower of Christ, a genuine disciple. Francis felt called to serve the poorest of the poor. But to this, his father took exception. In fact, he had his own son, Francis, thrown in prison and put under trial. And Francis declared, no longer as Pietro Bernardone, my father, for from now on, my father is in heaven. Jesus said, I have come to set a man against his father. Last Sunday, just last Sunday, while many of you were here, almost inconceivably, another group of us were in Africa and Tanzania, out in the wilderness, worshiping at a Maasai congregation. The Maasai are one of the 120 different tribes that uh, live in Tanzania. Each tribe has its own history, its own culture, its own language. The Maasai are a nomadic people living out in the wilderness. They move with the rainy season so they, they, they can graze their, their cattle and their, and their goats. Some of the Maasai on the fringes of that wilderness have responded to the preaching of the gospel, though uh, they have all kinds of cultural baggage that it comes into conflict with that gospel. This is what they work out as people of faith. It's fascinating and inspiring to see. They continue to follow the do the Messiah, a strict family hierarchy, it, precisely in the way that I shared was a reality in first century. Father, mother, sons, then daughters. They, for the most part, continue to practice polygamy. Uh, most of the uh, men have several wives. They have superstitious beliefs, indigenous religious beliefs I've shared and written about, such as scapegoating, whereby the uh, gathered community will uh, decide they can, they can thrust the sins of the tribe onto one individual and therefore banish that one from the community. And yet, as the gospel has been shared by our, uh, by our Lutheran brothers and sisters there in Tanzania, the, the Messiah are hearing and responding. And so we found ourselves in the middle of a small wooden church, this church, uh, if you can see a little bit, not all the pictures were 
uh, were uh, great. Um, and there we worshipped with, uh, with the Messiah. And I was given the privilege of preaching. And I, uh, as we scroll through these pictures, there's some kids looking in from the outside of the church through the boards, the slats there, and others uh, gathering outside before worship. And uh, there we are uh, inside, if you can imagine, this sort of stimulus overload of being surrounded by this faithful group of, uh, of Maasai people and their festive dress and their faithfulness and their singing and their dancing. Uh, as I preached, I talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to each one of us, about how on the day of Pentecost the flames of the Spirit rested not only on the elders, not only on the men, but on everybody gathered. And I asked those Messiah to consider how different our lives are from one another. Breathtaking that we, that we all exist on the same planet. Uh, and I talked about how different our, our lives are, how, you know, and, and, and yet there we were together. And I, and I asked them, can you with me right now feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? And you could see it in their faces as my friend Manisi translated my words into their language. Together we could feel we were God's gathered children of God. And that joy just spills out of those Messiah when they hear that gospel. This gospel that we share and sometimes take for granted in, in our churches in America where we decide whether or not it's convenient for us to roll out of bed and make our way over to the church. This gospel, we must know, is living and active and changing the world in Tanzania and other places. Well, here's just a little sample of the kind of singing uh, that we were surrounded by in that little wooden church. So just a little taste that was during the offering, as we just shared in the in uh, churches in Tanzania, the tradition is to bring your offering forward and you place it in the baskets up front. And I was sitting up front waiting to preach, so I had a great perspective on all of this as the people were coming forward. I counted among the uh, uh, gifts put in the offering were uh, four chickens, four separate chickens brought forward. As we approached the church driving over, we saw a boy walking along the vast uh, sunflower fields that we traveled through to get to the church. He was carrying a live duck by the neck. Well, it turned out he was on his way to church, and that duck was for the offering, so that was placed up there in the kind of pile of chickens and the duck. They tie their feet, and I spend the whole service after the offering watching them all trying to make their escape, almost feeling like I should sneak down there and untie the feet, but I resist the urge. Uh, so four chickens, one duck, and three separate uh, goats came up the dirt aisle as part of the offering. And then others who do have some money put their money in the offering. Uh, so it, to me, it is striking how... 
uh, different our lives are and yet how relevant, how completely relevant is this gospel that we share. Yes, there are some tough phrases and wording in this reading from Matthew's gospel, but there is also this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. The Messiah hear and respond to that good news. You and I do as well. We're about to uh, gather at the font shortly. A little brook will receive this same promise that binds us together as God's children in all places, in all times across all distance. This gospel we gather around here at Prince of Peace rings out across the world. And it has been a blessing uh, to be among our latest group to represent this church in that place. This morning as they gather for worship, they are remembering us in prayer and thanking God for the rare blessing that together we are God's children. That is the gospel on this day, the good news. And for that, we are grateful. All right, together now. Amen. You've made the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love.